Hello everyone, we're back with Patient's Perspective. I'm joined again by Dr Liz Walder. Hi Brooke. Hello. <laughs> so this time we'll be talking about the first steps of joining a clinical trial. So Liz, what are those first steps? Where do you start? So I guess the first step would be to have a conversation with your doctor um, so that they can explain the benefits and risks of actually taking part in a clinical trial. But we did um, cover those in a previous episode. So if you want to have more information about that, you can listen to it on that podcast. Um, but um, after that, I would say that they will give you a patient information sheet. So this is a document that's full of information about the clinical trial. Um, and you can take it home with you and read it at your own own time. But you can also use it um, to explain it to your friends and family so they know what to expect. Perfect. Uh, but what happens after that? So you've decided to join the trial, you've got the patient information sheet, what are the next steps? So once you've read the patient information sheet really carefully and you've discussed it with your members of family or your friends and you've really decided to take part, um, you will then be given um, a document called an informed consent form sometimes known as an ICF. Um, what can be scary is this document is quite confusing and quite complicated and it's usually quite long. So if you have any questions, it's important to talk to your doctor about this. Um, and this document basically gives a lot more information about what, to, what you should expect on the trial and the types of, of tests and procedures you may be asked to have, but also um, the risks that um, you may be putting yourself at risk of, I guess, the side effects that may may happen. Um, and then once you've decided to take part and you're happy with that, you then sign that document. So what happens after that? You sign the ICF, give it back to your doctor? Yes. Okay. So once you've signed the ICF, you then uh, will be asked to take part in a process called screening. Um, and this is, ensures that you are the correct person for the trial and in that I mean that you have the correct condition so sometimes um, you may have the condition but you may not fit certain criteria and those criteria are called eligibility criteria and um, basically screening um, involves looking at those criteria making sure you fit those but also um, giving you a number of tests and procedures to ensure you do meet those criteria. So if you don't meet those criteria, would I be correct in saying that you can't take part in the clinical trial? Unfortunately not. Yeah, that's right. You won't be able to take part if you don't hit those criteria, but your doctor will be able to give you some advice on what to do next. Perfect. So you mentioned tests before. What kind of tests are involved with screening? Okay, so the kind of tests that you may be asked to have include probably blood tests, um, a pregnancy tests, possibly an ECG, which is a, a heart test. Um, sometimes you're asked to have CT or MRI scans um, and possibly some urine tests as well. And most of these tests you'll then be asked to have during the trial as well. Um, just to take it back a minute. A CT or MRI scan, can you just explain that for people who might not know what that is? Yeah, of course. So a CT scan or an MRI scan, they're basically scans that are used to, to look at the inside of your body um, and they can check for, for, for disease, but also they can check whether a treatment's working or not. Perfect. So, um, well, that's a lot of lists, oh, that's a big list of um, tests and assessments to go through. Am I right in saying that this will like, change depending on the clinical trial? Because you said there are different therapy areas, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. So the kind of tests that you'll be asked to have will vary depending on the trial you go on. So yeah, it's important to talk to your doctor if you're worried about that. So let's just say you've passed all of these tests and you're on the trial. What's the setup like after screening? So will you definitely get the study treatment? Will you not? Will you know? That's a good question. I guess um, 
one of the things to know about clinical trials is that you may not be given the study treatment. There is no guarantee. Um, and this is because of a process called randomization, especially in phase three trials. There, this process is used very regularly. Um, and it's used to ensure there's no bias um, and to cover any treatment differences there may be. Um, Randomization is usually done by computer. So this means that you're allocated to a treatment group. So you could be allocated to a, the treatment group or potentially a control group or, or a placebo group. So a control group would receive the placebo? Yes, or sometimes the standard of care treatment. Okie dokie. Um, we mentioned placebos before in our previous episode, but could you just quickly recap what one is? Yeah, of course. Um, a placebo is um, a dummy treatment. Um, it's designed to look and smell and even taste like the treatment that you're being given. So you have no idea whether you'd be given a placebo or the actual study treatment. So why are placebos and control groups in general used in clinical trials? Um, they are used to make sure that the results are non-biased and um, that the effect you're seeing is actually real. Okay, so I don't quite understand... Um... What do you mean by you might have an effect from a placebo? Can you explain that a bit more, please? Okay, so as I said, a placebo is a, is a sugar pill. It's it's designed to look and smell and taste like a existing treatment, um, like the study treatment that you're being given, but it should have no medicinal effect. Um, but sometimes it can actually have an effect. Sometimes this is called a placebo effect. Um, so they use it to test whether the treatment has any effect or not. So they can compare it against the placebo. So... Would you say placebos are used in almost all clinical trials then just to monitor for that effect or? No, they're usually used in phase three trials, sometimes phase two, but usually phase three, um, because at that point it's in a much larger population and I'll get more data, data from that. Oh, okay. Um, but would you know that you've got the placebo? No, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are three types of trials again. So as well as randomization, there are also a type of trial called blind trial or open trial or double-blinded trial. So if you're in a blind trial, you will not know what treatment you've been given, but your doctor will. Okay. If you're in a double-blinded trial, neither of you will know which treatment you're given. So you could be given a placebo or the study treatment and you won't know, neither of you will. Or there's the open label one. And that will mean that you will have, um, you will know which treatment and so will your doctor. Okay, so if you're in a double-blinded trial, there'd be no use in asking anyone what you're on absolutely that no they no one will know <laughs> <laughs> okay perfect um so once you're on a trial regardless of randomization and what kind of trial you're in what happens if you change your mind so once you've signed that icf and you're in is that it you can't back out or is there an option to still uh no absolutely not when you you can you can you can withdraw from a trial at any point um Signing that ICF does not mean you are you are stuck on that trial. Um, and it is important to know that, that you can stop at any point. So if you do change your mind, what happens if you do change your mind and then you want to stop taking the study treatment, but you still want to help the trial in some way? Like, is there a phased way of stopping or? Yes. Yeah, so there is um, there's two types of withdrawal. You can withdraw from treatment and that like you say, means that you withdraw from treatment, you stop taking the treatment, but you are um, still being asked to go to um, a clinic to do tests and appointments just to check your general health, but also it allows them to see any long-term effects of that treatment, even though you've stopped. So you're providing them information. Um, and the other one is withdrawing your consent. 
So when you withdraw your consent, you stop taking the treatment, but you also stop taking part of the trial. But you may be asked to just come to one follow-up appointment afterwards, just so that they can check up on you and check you're okay and your health is has not been affected. Okay, this might seem like a bit of a silly question, but I'm sure it's one that people would worry about. So when you've stopped taking part in a trial, that like you've changed your mind, would that affect the kind of care you'll get or the standard of care you get? No, absolutely not. No, um, it just means you'll be going in a different direction. So as soon as you stop a trial, you will need you'll be talking. Your doctor will talk to you and work out the best steps for you and um, what treatments to try next. Okay, that's very reassuring. Um, so just to take it back to double blinded and all of that. So if you stop a trial, regardless of the circumstances but you're on a blinded trial, so you didn't know what you got, will you be able to find out? Sometimes you can. Um, if the treatment has had an effect, um, the trial can be stopped early, and sometimes they will then allow you to stay on that drug, and they would call that, that would become an open-label trial, and you will know um, which treatment you've been given. So even if you were on the um, placebo, you could be swapped to that treatment, um, to the study treatment, because it's working. Um but sometimes that doesn't happen. It can just depend on the trial that you're on. Um, and sometimes you can ask your nurse if there is any way of finding out if you stop the treatment, whether you were on the study treatment or placebo. I suppose this depends on the clinical trial again. Absolutely. It's, it varies depending on the trial, the disease and the, and the company that's running it. Oh, okay. So that is a lot to take in. In one sitting, do you I think? I that. <laughs> <laughs> do you think we could get like a whistle stop tour, as it were, or just a quick summary of what it's like in the beginning part of taking part of a clinical trial? Yeah, of course. Um, I guess the first thing you would do is go and talk to your doctor and see if you're interested. They would then give you a patient information sheet. You can then read that and digest it with your friends and family and work out if you want to take part. If you do, you'll then be given an ICF. Um, which you would need to sign if you do decide to take part in a clinical trial. Once you've done that, you'll be then invited to um, undergo screening, which involves a, a number of tests and procedures to check whether you have the criteria to go on that trial. Um, and then once you've done that, you then will be allocated a treatment group. And this is what we were talking about with randomization. So you, it could be a randomized trial. So you um, may not know what treatment you're on, um, and you, your doctor may not know as well. So, um, and then, um, the other important thing to note is that you can withdraw from a trial at any point. Thank you for all of that, Liz. Um, it's been great talking through that with you. No problem at all. So that's it for episode two. Join us next time. Where we'll be talking about what to expect during a clinical trial and what happens when it ends and how you actually go about finding one. In the meantime, if you have any questions about anything that we're covering or even have any topic suggestions, go ahead and ask away on our Facebook page, Instagram page, or tweet us at Cutsy and Cutsy. Patients Perspective is made by Cutsy and Cutsy, an award-winning healthcare communications agency where people matter, and based on the book series they developed with Dr. Liz Walder, explained in plain English. Ever since Liz was a young girl, she has been fascinated by nature and the human body, especially how things work. After gaining a degree in biology at the University of Aberystwyth, Liz went on to get a master's degree in immunology of infectious diseases from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, and later a PhD from the University of Edinburgh's medical school. 
Liz has over 13 years experience working as a medical writer in numerous medical and creative agencies. In her roles, she has been responsible for interpreting high science and changing it into plain English for those who do not have her scientific background. Liz believes passionately in making science and health information accessible to everybody. She also loves innovative science and is a huge fan of CSI in-house. Liz currently heads up the content team at Cutsy & Cutsy as scientific team leader.